Hi everyone, I'm Jonathan Siboni, founder and CEO of Luxury Insight, the leading data intelligence platform for luxury brands. Every two weeks, Gottfried Dini, global editor-in-chief, and Olivier Guyot, editor-in-chief friends of Fashion Network, interview the people who shape the industry of luxury, fashion, and beauty. Our guests share their personal journey and opinion on the current state of the market and what to expect for the future. You can find all episodes on luxuryinsight.com, social media, and wherever you want to listen to our podcasts. We hope you're going to enjoy this episode. Good day, everyone. In today's podcast, we have the pleasure of meeting Thierry Andretta, who has been the CEO of Mulberry for the last, I believe, eight years. And he's a man who's had a long and very fruitful career uh, with many important luxury brands. He was CEO of Lanva, I believe Moschino. He worked for the Gucci Group. He did. He is also an executive at LVMH, and at one stage even the CEO of Bucciolati, the great lux, uh, luxury jewelry brand. But today, I think we're going to focus on his mo more recent job, which is Mulberry. So, good, very good of you to come along today. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Um, now, uh, you've been C CEO at Mulberry since April two thousand fifteen. Correct. Where you when you replaced my namesake Godfrey. Davis, um, what were your key objectives when you first arrived? Well, when you first arrived was to put the brand on an international evidence. <laughs> the brand was really uh, British focus uh, or UK focus, let's say this way, really uh, looking on the internal market and not really considering an international expansion directly done because they used to have a lot of wholesale as a lot of the majority of a brand, but not really a retail. And so the strategy was clear, was to change the brand, moving directly to consumer and moving outside of the UK little by little. Okay. You, um, you've invested in that process quite heavily in digital, I believe. Uh, when you arrived, there was practically no online sales. What, what would they be today? Today, we are probably the best brand in terms of penetration of the luxury industry. We are at 37% of our retail and 31% if we consider franchisee wholesale. That are market where we are not really oh. doing uh, digital. And when I joined, it was 7%. That was still oh, okay. a good percentage, really mm. small, but not really done. Um, when you arrived, I think it was fair to say there had been a number of years of confusion about the brand. Uh, what its positioning was, what its price point was. The positioning was, let's say, a little bit unusual because there was a tentative to go uh, up in terms of luxury perception, but it was not exactly done, also increasing at an acceptable level of quality. And so the work for us has been before to reassure the consumer that we have to consider Mulberry a luxury brand mm -hmm. and then working a lot on quality uh, and quality perception. And today I personally think that uh, we invest a lot in our in our factories in UK. So we are really proud because we have around 600 workers in two factories producing over 50% of our bags in the UK. The balance is done in Italy, is done in Europe mostly. Uh, we are really proud today because I consider that we have probably the best value for price in the luxury industry. But there has been tons of investment uh, in, on every single point because it's not only having uh, the latest uh, technology available, but it's also to 
make training uh, craftsman people uh, and it's crazy because it's really interesting we have an apprentice program since 2006 uh, and today the majority of our top talent uh, are coming out and they start the career as apprentice and they move little by little in the company so it's quite interesting because today we have a really young generation able to make a difference in terms of quality and the way that we prepare and, and we produce our bag oh, very good uh, Walpole, which is the uh, United Kingdom's luxury federation, uh, uh, last year, I believe, late last year, awarded you its Sustainability Brand of the Year Award. Uh, so tell us a bit about what you've been doing in the regenerative area and in terms of the circular economy to get that award. Uh, I would like to put this in context simply because I think it's interesting. The company uh, was founded... Uh, with a sustainability of 52 years ago, because the company has, has been founded in 1971. What does it mean? That it was a simply a really good quality product made to last. And this was the origin. Uh, three or five years after that they start the company, they start receiving requests from customer to fix what was a bag, let's say, as an example, because the lining was broken or this kind of thing. And so they decided to offer a lifetime service that for me was the first example of circularity. So, and we found this. When I joined the company, I was so impressed because we had about 12 to 15 people doing only what I call lifetime service. So repairing bag, mm. that are coming back because the consumer has a certain affection for the bag and they don't want to put away, they want to have their bag uh, fixed and return. So a few years ago when we were looking that we were potentially turning 50, so in 2021, we decided to move uh, uh, mostly, let's say, circularity and uh, sustainability at the next level. And so we start engaging with the uh, tanneries. Uh, I still remember when we asked uh, to the Scottish Leather Group uh, to go to buy hides from nine uh, regenerative farming that we identify in Scotland because they were the one really respecting the soil, turning, uh, uh, turning the things. And so we were sure that these hides were coming to the tannery mostly on carbon neutral approach. Uh, and I still remember they were looking at like, you are crazy, why you want to teach us uh, what to do our business? Uh, yeah, because we want to move the business to a different level and something. And now let's say that all the tanneries are really following this. Today, uh, 100% of our leather, and we are in advance of our manifesto when we declare that it was done by uh, 2023, we were able to have 100% of our leather coming from a regenerative farming. So this means where the soil is fully respected and where there is a rotation uh, about uh, the, the, the way that they produce the leather is carbon neutral. On top of this, we are using the best tannery in the world, 50% around of our product is coming to us carbon neutral, obtained from the factories, from the tanneries. The other part, we are offsetting a little bit because we want to be also consistent of this, still that the tannery are organized themselves. So we really move on this. We move on circularity because we were the first brand in 2021 to start, uh, end of 2020, to start a pre-loved bag uh, program. Uh, this is really working. We have an issue today that is simple that we are not able to buy enough bag to put on the market. This is an incre incredible... Not enough to buy enough? 
enough bags to put on the market again. Because normally the customer that come back to us, they want their bag fixed uh-uh. <laughs> to have a second life. Uh-huh. And we propose to everyone to buy the bags. We are able to buy, but for example, we are not doing yet worldwide this kind of circularity because yeah. we don't have enough bags. So today is mostly working UK, is working in Europe uh, on the West side, and is working in the, in the US. And we are launching in China in a few months from now. Okay. Uh, you've had a number of very classic bags. There was a famous Bayes water, I remember, of, of, of nearly a generation ago. Well, recently you introduced the M-Zip and the Link, I noticed. Uh, how have they performed? They are performing well. We have today a, a great mix, uh, as I think a lot of other brands related to leather goods. So we have uh, the historical bestseller that continue to perform. And then they have also there, they have a phase where up and down is related to fashion and moment and something. Uh, water turned 20 this year so we are just did the launch as a family is our best seller uh, the second one is alexa which is an alt- another historical bag uh, from uh, 15 years ago uh, well represented by alexa chang uh, for sure then we have another bag that is also an historical one that is the lily but after we also have uh, a few bags that are coming from uh, the generation when uh, johnny cocker was our creative yes. director so we have the iris we have the amberly that are still in the in the top and the m uh, m family and the link uh, are just start but they're selling quite well they are quite modern so it's good to have this mix between old bestseller and new bestseller ba- bags make up I was, i'm guessing the majority of your sales no absolutely yes bags and smaller goods represent close to 90 percent of our oh, okay sales. okay so it's not you haven't really diversified into becoming a fashion uh, label or such not really uh, I, I think a lot of brand uh, related to leather goods uh, are using uh, fashion just to generate traffic and sell it via leather <laughs> goods. In our case, we prefer for the moment to stay focused on leather goods. And you, you expect that to be the case. You talked about, um, you know, Burberry's history. Define the DNA of, of Mulberry. Sorry, Burberry. Ma, Mulberry, is, from my point of view, is the quintessence of, a British, uh, of Britishness yeah. in leather goods uh, uh, quality any leather goods uh, also offer so there is this contradiction between uh, modernity and tradition that is typical from UK yeah. uh, I, I will say that uh, if we use the example that we use uh, the base water is a classic uh, bag uh, the, uh, the link or the M family are a lot more modern uh, and, and more edge in terms of brand so it's really this contradiction we've always anyway an approach in terms of color palette that is typical British, that is really important for us. We spend a lot of time in all our colors offer, despite the classic one that everyone is selling, to oh. be sure that they represent Britishness in, in a great way. What, what, what do you define as British colors? Then? Well, the classical British color is always a pink, as an example. <laughs> so we are never missing a pink in our collection. But also when we found a tone is really a British tone. For example, we have a, a green that is called Mulberry Green is close to our package uh, and is really uh, what in terms of cars they call the Mulberry uh, British Green, so the the racing green. So we we are always, we check about to be sure that this is really represented. What about international expansion? How how has that progressed? It's progressing really well. (coughs) I think we we were just out uh, uh, 
10 days ago with our results. And um, internationally is growing. We are not yet at 50%, we are close. Uh-huh. Uh, but for example, this year, that is the result because there are being a lot of investment on international. And this year, for example, we are up uh, 46% on international and we are flat in the UK. The UK is, is a difficult market in this moment. Uh, and this is done really because we have finalized to acquire the majority of the territory and now little by little they are coming back. So, Which territories? So we start acquiring, uh, uh, taking control of China, including Hong Kong, uh, Macau and Taiwan. Where previously you had a license or Previously no? was a franchise. Franchise. Yeah. Then we did the same things in Korea. That yeah. was our second market. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, this. Then we did a JV in Japan and we acquired yeah. two weeks ago the control the 100% of, of uh, JV. We did Australia six months ago. We did Sweden close to one year ago. Wow. So we are little by little taking control of all the international markets. So you think that can really generate a lot of higher growth is your hope, we, obviously. We can generate grow, but especially we can be sure and prepared for the next generation that, in my opinion, being the leading company in terms of digital penetrations. We have our 37% of retail. Now we need to move on integration with this omni-channel. And omni-channel means that the customer can decide where he wants to start the journey with a brand uh, digitally or, or in brick and mortar. The integration can only be done when you have a full control of the distribution because we try for a lot of time to do a share revenue model with a franchise, it was mostly impossible. Yeah. So, uh, what, what have you done in terms of the design of your boutique? So many brands nowadays make a lot of emphasis. We, we have done a great um, agreement with a rising star on the British uh, architecture, that is uh, a lady called Fade to Good. And she did an interpretation of a store concept that is quite interesting because it's a mix between English brutalism in terms of architecture <laughs> with a typical signature in terms of color palette. So again, uh, the importance uh. of British color and uh, uh, signature furniture typical of a UK countryside. Ah. It's quite interesting. The first store open was Regent, uh, Regent Street in London, so it's now six years old. And now we are we have a presence of this store all over the world. It's really interesting because it's a cozy ambience. You don't feel uh, uh, to be in a luxury environment that is pushing you to buy or things uh-huh. is comfortable you spend time inside and every time that we apply the concept in the previous store we have a uplifting sales that is between 20 to 30 percent so it's quite interesting i think okay. it's an interesting concept so it's a very measurable effect yeah measurable effect. um now you have been quite outspoken <laughs> Uh, uh, last year, uh, I know about uh, the decision of the, the British government and uh, Rishi Sunak when he was Chancellor of the Exchequer to end uh, VAT-free shopping for tourists in the UK. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I know it had, uh, you, we spoke earlier about it had a very bad effect on your, your bond um, uh, superstore. How um, uh, do you think that can be changed? Do you think? Uh... I think everyone is putting more and more pressure uh, to change this decision because, in our case, is impacting. Uh, uh, we used to do eleven million pounds turnover on tax free. 
Were on tax-free. In, in tax-free in, in, in UK. In, in, yeah. in, in a year. So uh, after the decision, we are still doing probably 2 million international tourists without the tax-free. Mm. So there is a big losses uh. in, in time of things. There is a losses that at, at the end is under the employment, so under jobs, uh. if you want. But the point is that uh, we were discussing about Bond Street. Our store in Bond Street was doing 45% on tax-free. Uh, since the end of the tax-free, that store that before was always the number one uh, in UK became the number two uh, and sometimes the number three um, behind the Covent Garden that is a, f- a beautiful store in London with a difference that Bond Street cost 10 times more Covent Garden in terms of rent. So for us, it was impossible to continue a store like this uh-huh. and we have decided to took the decision to close the store. Uh, fortunately, good enough that we were able to read a all the, all the team, all the staff in other stores in London because we have several. But it was a tough decision. And I think the government need to rethink this because it's really not working. I don't know any single brand that is happy in this moment in London in terms of performance. And this is impacting not only uh, our luxury consumer, it's impacting hospitality, it's impacting restaurants, it's impacting theater. So it's impacting really a, a lot of uh, jobs, in my opinion. Okay, because the VAT also operated on theater tickets as well? No. No, no, no. no. But, but on, on, yeah. on, only on luxury goods. Only on luxury But naturally, that was what attracted the international shopper there, completely. because if not, they're going to go to Milan or Paris. Co- completely. Right? And if you think today, the uh, tax-free uh, level uh, is uh. over pre-COVID. So finally, they recover without the Chinese, because Chinese today, you only have uh, the individual travelers, so the health individual, you don't have a group that used uh. to come both in Paris or Milan or even London. And it's mostly done on America and Middle Eastern, other things. And then, uh, strange enough, because for sure, uh, as an international or European tourist, you cannot enjoy anymore the tax-free in UK, but as a British passport holder, you can enjoy a tax-free shop outside of the UK. So now you have the opposite, that uh, the British represent 10 to 12% of the tax-free in Europe yeah. coming to buy in Paris, in so Paris, they also yeah. enjoy the weekend or going to buy in Milano or some other places. Okay. Um, now, you had uh, group revenue, I saw last year was up 4%, 159 million. That was uh, despite these the stuff conditions despite in your, these, yeah. your your key market, because Britain is still nearly the, is the majority of your sales. It's close to 60%. Okay, yes. there. So, uh, what are you expecting this year? This year, we expect uh, a grow uh, that will come for sure internationally. So over 40% grow in the first 12 weeks and yeah. for the moment is continue at the same uh. pace. Uh, UK is really a question mark. For the moment, we are flat in the UK, but I think it's still uh, a acceptable results, <laughs> let's say <laughs> this way. Uh, let's see what is happening in the UK. That's our point. Okay. Your, your company is, uh, I believe, owned by the, uh, I've always mispronounced the name, the Ong, oh, okay. uh, Ong family own uh, 56%. But you were recently also in the news 
the reports that your minority shareholder Mike Ashley wanted a stake on the board, but you rejected that. But is is it if you want the company is on uh, is on is controlled by the young, they have about fifty seven percent, and uh, Mike Ashley as Fraser Group as thirty six thirty seven. He was asking a position of the board, and then the position of the board is that we are looking for an independent member of the board, yeah. but our strategy is to grow internationally and uh, to grow on direct direct to consumer because our business today is uh, 95% direct to consumer so 85% is controlled by us 10% is controlled by two franchises that we still have yeah. that are direct to consumer because they are monobrand yeah. store 5% only is the wholesale so my cash limit it is a successful man, a great businessman, and he has a great business, especially on Sport Direct plus uh, Fraser or Flannel. Uh, he's, uh, I think, a brilliant guy, but with an experience that is mostly all sale and, uh-huh. and the UK market. Uh-huh. It's not what we are looking for. Okay, okay. Um, what did you learn at your other jobs at Lanva or at uh, Bucciolati that you try to put into use in Mulberry? Coherence related to be customer centric because the focus for I think every company today is to be customer centric. I think there is a big uh, evolution in try to do the market, uh, what I call the marketing to one and not marketing. So uh, when you marketing, you need to market God free because you are here or you need to market yeah. theory, knowing everything about the customer yeah. and try to offer the best uh, service that you can or the best suggestion that you can. Uh, I think this is really. Uh, what you learn. You learn this especially from hard luxury. So when I was in Bucellati, uh, at that time it was clear that we were doing around 70% of our business uh, with uh, less than 100 customers. Absolutely rich and fortunate. So these 100 customers, we used to know to know everything, where we were spending the holiday, uh, when we were going to a hotel. So uh-uh. it's a complete, I think today every brand need to move on this. You need to know, to know more and more about your customer. And this, I think, is also where uh, personally CRM has to go. And CRM means uh, the application of artificial intelligence, because in our case, I think it will be in our industry, I think it will be really easy. It's an extremely sophistication on CRM, knowing everything about your customer. Um, so that's how you think data should be used, is, yes. to, is to amass as much as possible. Absolutely. How do you go about gathering all that information? But it's, it's, even this is difficult. Sometimes when you think, uh, and on this I try to be really clear, uh, <clears throat> what are the political impacts uh, on everything? I've been recently in China, uh, and it was three and a half years that I was not going there. So I try to fix a long meeting to understand uh, related to Mulberry, what our consumer were looking for Mulberry, the other brand that they were looking. So, and I met uh, Timol, I met uh, Little Red Book, mm. I met Bauzoom, that is the digital distributor for the majority of the luxury brand uh, oh. working on every platform. They have <coughs> all the data that we call artificial intelligence available. Uh, and immediately available. And every time that I was asking uh, a, a question to go more deep, uh, and this was not in their presentation, uh, the data was available. So immediately available because they simply need to look on the computer and t- taking out the data. 
But the big difference, and that's why I'm going to the political party, that for me is a little bit an obsession, is mm-hmm. that uh, the younger customer and the younger generation ask to receive a lot of services. You don't need to opt in. In Europe, you need to opt in, so it's impossible. And, and let me use an example, Godfrey, because it's a really sh- real shock. We went to Chengdu to visit the shopping mall, so it's a 20 million city, uh, people living city in the center of uh, China. And our general manager received uh, a text on our phone, welcome, Cinzia, we know that you like uh, a Thai food. Uh, here we have uh, two Thai restaurants. Uh, one is fully booked, the other one you can have a table at 12.45. So this is the level of service that the younger generation, I think worldwide, personal opinion, would like to receive. In Europe, we cannot send this text because you need to opt in. So you need to go in the web, in the website of the shopping mall. Huh. You need to sign in. You need to opt in. You need to create the credential. And then potentially you can receive something. So when you have this kind of barrier, it's sure that you give the opportunity uh, to China to go 10 times faster than us because here everything is, is making... But sorry, why different. why are they able to use the information? Because there, are, there is the law related to your uh, confidentiality and privacy. Yeah. And so, for example, in our case, uh, let me talk only about Mulberry, we used to have uh, over 2 million people in our database in terms yeah. of customer. Uh-huh. When the law was uh, uh, finally uh, uh-huh. mandatory, we lost uh, over 1 million of contacts. Because people wouldn't click except. Because people wouldn't click. And uh-huh. that's the big difference. <laughs> so I think uh-huh. that even artificial intelligence, uh, we can go faster, but we need to have also someone thinking about uh, what the, le- the level of service that really the younger generation So that like. kind of right to privacy laws that they passed, yeah. you think was a mistake? I think that in this case is a mistake, personally. Okay. Um, I think you need to be protected, but you can opt out. Yeah, yeah. Not opting. That's yeah. the different type of philosophy. Um, we have a lot of uh, young people uh, listening to our our podcast who uh, who would like to get a, a career in the fashion, luxury, uh, creative world. What are three bits of advice you would give to a young man or woman starting out today who's about to go to college or college? Well, the first thing is always to be open to learn uh, because I personally consider, and now I'm uh, in my last phase of career in terms of age, that you can learn from everyone. There is always someone that can give you a, a point of view that is relevant, uh, that you are not able to think on your own. So it's mostly listening to people, uh, try to analyze something. The other thing is try to be yourself uh, and uh, if you trust something, continue to trust what you are doing and, and, and advancing. And the third thing that I think is potentially is more important is that uh, you will learn uh, sooner than later that uh, uh, alone you cannot do a lot of things. So you need to learn uh, how to work in team <laughs> and how to have a team working with you, uh, sharing the same direction, strategy, goal, uh, ob- objectives, because it's the way to accelerate and, and, going, uh, and going better and be successful. Um, uh, finally, um, as a French man of Italian origin, living in London and running a, a prestige UK luxury brand, uh, has Brexit been a, a success or a failure? In terms of business, I think it's a failure, but a failure because it's related to what uh, we discussed before, the tax-free 
the end of tax free is a big mistake from a government. Uh, and I think that both uh, every other country in Europe is more than happy that this happening in the UK because uh, we are today over in Europe uh, pre-COVID level in terms of tax free, mm. enjoying even the British buying outside of the UK. Uh, and mm. so and UK is the only country that is really suffering related to this. After is a, is a democracy decision that I cannot discuss, uh, but in terms of business has impact for us uh, in, in a negative way. Jerry Andretta, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening to the Luxury Insight and Fashion Network podcast. If you like this episode, subscribe to our channel to discover more exclusive insights from leaders of the industry. You can find all our episodes on LuxuryInsight.com, social media, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.